Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the First and Fifteen Podcast. Um, I'm Joel Pulliam, and uh, for those who don't know, the first comes from the First Amendment, which is the right to free speech, and the Fifteenth Amendment is, you know, the right to vote. And so that's how I got the name. What I wanted to talk about today is the Electoral College. Um, and probably if you're listening, a lot of people who are listening probably know about this. But, you know, if it can help anybody that doesn't know about the system, that'd be great. You know, uh, the Electoral College, for those who don't know, um, it's, it's the process by which we elect a president. Right. If you ever see the map on election night, you see, you know, red states and blue states. Uh, and basically there are 538 electoral votes, you know, and across the 50 states. And there are there are states like Nebraska and Maine where they're like separate ones. We'll talk about that. But uh the, the candidate that gets 270 electoral votes, they are the winner. And so how we do it is that each state is allocated a certain amount of electoral votes. And every state automatically gets two of them, right? Because every state has two senators. But also you add with that, you get, you know, the number of representatives you have in Congress. And so you kind of add those together and that's how you... you we relegate, you know, how many electoral votes. And it's every 10 years when we do a census, we kind of reallocate. Some states, they gain electoral votes. Some states lose a couple electoral votes. Um, you can look in previous years how some states, like Florida, have gone way up. If you check 50 years ago, Florida didn't have that many electoral votes. Now it's, I believe it's the third most electoral votes. But, you know, back to, to what the Electoral College is about. Uh, its origins... First of all, the, the, the name Electoral College is not mentioned in the Constitution. Electors are mentioned. Um, and, and basically what it was supposed to be was that originally uh, electors were chosen by those who could vote, which were just white men who were landowners. And those electors then would choose who was the president. But it wasn't like a direct uh it wasn't always like a direct reflection of what the people actually thought. Now, today we do things different. You know, they, they, the electors usually reflect exactly what the popular vote is. And, and for the very few times that people have kind of gone off script and been like, oh, well, we're going to choose a different candidate than what the state voted for. They're usually disciplined or like fined or, you know, by like the state party, you know, it doesn't happen very often, even in elections where people are dissatisfied with the winner we don't do that we usually follow the letter of the law and whoever your state votes for they get all the votes so if florida you know they have elect 30 electoral votes now uh if if donald trump wins it then he gets all 30 you go in california which has 54 electoral votes if joe biden wins it he gets all 54 of them so it's winner take all in all the states except for two like I said before, Nebraska and Maine. And if, if you paid attention to politics, maybe you've heard people say that the Electoral College is racist, is based in racism. And you know what? It's actually true. If you go back to when the Electoral College was first formed, back then, you know, uh, when they were determining who, how many electors each state would get, the South, you know, they don't have the population when it comes to white people. They don't have the amount of white people that the North have. And so the South, they felt like, oh, uh, we're getting left out. And so that's where you come up with the three-fifths compromise. 
an overview of the three-fifths compromise is that, you know, for every five enslaved uh, persons the state had, they had three people counted in the census. And remember, I told you before that the census is how we would determine how many electoral college vote, uh, votes a state has. And so for them to get around, you know, they weren't going to allow black people to have a vote, but they would still use those black bodies to count towards an electoral vote. I mean, it shows the hypocrisy of the Constitution in the first place. Um, and, and it was a way for those slave states to gain electoral power. There's this theory called the slave power, right? I mean, and it's true is that, you know, southern states had a disproportionate amount of power during the 19th century in America. It, without having equal population to the north, but because they could count enslaved black people, they almost they kind of controlled things. That's why slavery lasts so long. And, and the crazy thing is at first, Southern states, they wanted to count the enslaved people in their population, like in the actual population count. And then northern states, they objected to it. They were like, you know, on the grounds that enslaved people, they couldn't vote. I mean, you even have people like George Mason, you know, uh, who the college is named after. Uh, Governor Morris, who, who uh, created the preamble, they both objected to the whole slavery uh slavery in general and then also allowing uh enslaved people to be counted towards population but like a lot of white politicians in american history they gave in. they gave in to the three-fifths compromise and uh which was first proposed by founding fathers and i say that sarcastically founding fathers james wilson and charles pinckney and roger sherman and it's one of the worst decisions in American history so bad that while it was originally put into the Constitution you know it's it's later repealed first by the 13th Amendment uh, banning slavery but then it's explicitly repealed in the 14th Amendment and not only was the three-fifths compromise just like morally bad you know morally is is sick but what it led to, it led to, first of all, conflict. You know, you got Jefferson's election, Thomas Jefferson's election, uh, the Missouri Compromise, where Missouri was uh, brought into the Union as a slave state. You get the Indian Removal Act with Andrew Jackson. You get the Kansas-Nebraska Act that, you know, it leads to bloody Kansas. And that leads to the Civil War. So you saw the Three-Fifths Compromise. Whenever you try to legislate unrighteousness or evil, it's always... It's, it's destiny. The logical conclusion is conflict. And, and while, you know, the three-fifths compromise, it is repealed. You see the legacy, the racist legacy of the Electoral College anyways, even today. Right. When you look at states, if you look at an electoral map, it's biased. The Electoral College is biased towards and all, like obviously also the Senate towards white, smaller states. And that's not to say that, you know, they don't matter. But they, their importance far outweighs their population, right? And, and and black people, their power, our power is kind of diluted when it comes to electoral college because instead of it being just a straightforward popular vote of whoever gets the most, you know, our votes, they count towards southern states because that's where the majority of black people live. And these southern states, they are controlled by Republicans, right? They're always going to go Republican every single election. So if you're living in Mississippi, if you're living in Alabama, if you and I'm from I grew up in South Carolina, uh, if you live in South Carolina, your votes don't get me wrong. I'm never going to say your vote doesn't count, but the power of the vote is diluted 
as long as we have an electoral college, as long as, you know, uh, let's say a state like Alabama, where, you know, the majority of the white people who make up the majority of the state, they're going to vote for a Republican and override your vote. You know, and there's just something undemocratic about that to me. And and this is not to say that, oh, you know, if we went to a popular vote, I hear a lot of people say this, you forget about the middle of America. You still cannot win an election without getting a majority of votes, even in middle America. Right. You couldn't just like, yes, the majority of our country, they're on the coast. But it's not like unanimously everyone in California, unanimously everyone in New York City or Florida. You know, you're going to have to go to Iowa and the Dakotas and Oklahoma and Kansas and Missouri and Arkansas. You're going to have to win a lot of those people in order to win the presidency anyways. So, I mean, and you would still visit the same battleground states. It'd still be Ohio. It'd still be Pennsylvania. It'd still be Georgia. Still be Michigan. Like, nothing would really change because, unfortunately, we don't visit middle America during election season anyways. So I don't see what would really shift that much except people's votes won't be diluted and watered down. And, and there also is the big elephant in the room. It's the fact that to get to 70, you don't necessarily have to win the most votes in the country. We've had that. I mean, we just had that happen in 2016. It's actually happened twice in my lifetime. You know, I remember the 2000 election uh, as a kid and, and seeing George Bush win the, you know, it, that's a whole nother. That might be another podcast episode. Uh, winning the election without winning the most votes nationwide. Uh, one election I can that that's an historic election. I think one of the most important elections of all time was decided like this. Uh, 1876, where you have Rutherford B. Hayes, the Republican versus Samuel Tilden, the Democrat. And if you don't know back then, you know, Republicans back then, Republicans were uh, the party of Lincoln, right? They were the party that was anti-slavery. Uh, when the Union won, there were uh, Republican troops, right? Troops from the Union that occupied the South, and that's where you get Reconstruction. That's where you get, um, you know, black people. They're, they're in Congress for the first time. They win the governorship. Like, so black people made advancements. But what happened in 1876 is that neither candidate gets the majority, and since the uh, the country was small in population, you know how I say electoral votes uh, that reflects, you know, the population. It was 369 electoral votes instead of 538. And so the winner needed to get 185. And neither candidate, neither Rutherford B. Hayes nor Samuel Tilden got the 185. Actually, Tilden was at 184. He was one electoral vote away. And... This election is one of the most, you know, it's, it's vicious because uh, Republicans, I'm going to be honest, Republican Rutherford B. Hayes really did technically win the election. But what had happened was that in the South, Democrats are out, you know, they're terrorizing black Republicans because, you know, like I said, Republicans were the party back then, not now. Back then, they were the party of black people, their party of, you know, abolition and all of that. And so uh, Democrats terrorize black Republicans. They kill people who are trying to vote Republican. Uh, even in South Carolina, it says that 101 percent of, of eligible voters voted. That didn't even that's not even mathematically possible. So, you know, 
it was a lot of shady, dirty stuff going on down there. So technically, Rutherford B. Hayes, he really did win. But when the votes came out, he was short as well. And so what happened, and this is where it gets just dirty and foul, is that Republicans so badly want the presidency that in exchange for the presidency, they removed their troops from the South. Again, like I said before, those troops were there to protect black people, to ensure that they were enfranchised and had the ability to vote, the ability to hold office. And so in exchange for Rutherford B. Hayes becoming president, you know, Republicans removed the only thing stopping black people from being just terrorized and ran over, which were those troops. And uh, at least to 100 years of Jim Crow, 100 years of of domestic terrorism against black people, oppression, suppression, you name it. And it still has its effects in the South right now. And, you know, this backroom deal is called the Compromise of 1877. And what the Compromise of 1877 shows us is that with the Electoral College, with human, like there being a middleman between the voters and their votes being counted, you can have those backroom deals. You can have those shenanigans. Uh, I mean, you even look at, let, let's go back to January 6, 2021. What was Donald Trump trying to do? Overturn the will of the voters. How? By intimidating electors. You know, and, and that's, that's the problem, right? If it had just been a straight popular vote, we would have been able to just say, hey, look at the numbers. But because... You know, there there needs to be electors and you have to go and have it certified in the House. You're just it, it leads to where things like that. He he came very close to being able to overturn the will of the voters because of that middleman. When if we just had a straight popular vote, you take away some of the ways that someone like Donald Trump could use to overturn the will of voters. And I'm not the only one who thinks this about the Electoral College. I mean, there are a lot of people who know about its racist origins and have said that it's outgrown its usefulness. Uh, but here's the problem. Uh, it <laughs> there really is. It's almost impossible to overturn it. And, I, you know, I believe in, in, you know, we can do great things in this country. And shoot, I believe one day we'll get reparations. But this feat. Of, of removing the Electoral College is almost impossible. And the reason it's impossible is that it would take an amendment to the Constitution. Remember I told you before about uh, the 13th and 14th amendments repealing the three-fifths compromise? Well, I want you... I'm going to show you how difficult it is to amend the Constitution. I want you to think to yourself or say it out loud, what year do you think was the last amendment to the Constitution? The year was 1992. And put that in perspective, I was a year old in 1992. So it's been a minute. And it was the 27th Amendment. You know, I'll just throw this in there. The 27th Amendment basically stated that uh, if Congress, you know, voted for a pay raise for themselves, they would have to wait until the next election for them to receive that pay raise. I know. Uh, so, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of forgettable. Uh but yeah, it's been 30 some odd years since we've had a constitutional amendment. And the reason it's so difficult is just there are a lot of hurdles to jump. 
Uh, first of all, you have to get two thirds of the House, two thirds of the Senate to vote for it. Uh, put that in perspective. When it came to Donald Trump and we saw what he did January 6th, you, you, you couldn't even get 60 uh, senators to, to impeach him or to remove him from office. He was impeached, but remove him from office. So you need two thirds of both the House and the Senate. And you need three-fourths of states and to, to ratify it. So if we want to talk about three-fourths of states, 38 states is three-fourths of states, right? The last president to get 38 states or to win 38 states is H.W. Bush, George H.W. Bush. And that's back in 1988 against Michael Dukakis. He got 40 states. Bill Clinton's highest total was 32 states. Barack Obama in 08, when he just kind of just demolished the competition 28 states so i just do not see how you're going to get 38 states to agree because let's be honest that would take republican states to agree with you and you already know that republicans right now they're not doing what's in the best interest of the country so you got that the funny thing is that there i mean it's not funny but the interesting interesting thing is that you know there have been amendments that have actually cleared the first step right two-thirds of the house and senate and they still can't get past the three-fourths of states ratifying them one of them is the equal rights amendment the equal rights amendment what it's supposed to do is um guarantee equal legal rights for like all american citizens regardless of their sex so like uh matter like let's say divorce or employment or something like that uh there would be protections because the era that didn't get ratified by 38 states. Right? And that's crazy. You would think that that was already in the Constitution, or at least in law. Uh, so you have that. There, there are other ones that haven't, that have kind of just been sitting there. And those include like the, the Child Labor Amendment, uh, the D.C. Voting Rights Amendment. You know, it's kind of even with the fight for D.C., why it'd be very difficult is that, you know, the, the District of Columbia is in the Constitution of that there has to be land for the District of Columbia and there are people who debate whether you would need two thirds. of it's, it's just a long if if you needed to change the Constitution for D.C. to become a state. I mean, that that'd be tough. Like you see how difficult it is to change the Constitution. And I'm not saying this, you know, to like uh, bring people down. I mean, but like. Barbara Jordan once said, you know, in order to play the game, you have to know the rules. And so I'm just trying to tell you the rules of the game of we can get everything we want, but you got to know your strategy and what you're going for. Uh, maybe one day we would be able to amend the Constitution, but you would have to build up towards that. It wouldn't happen right now. And so it kind of leaves us what what strategy can you have? Um, again, this is a racist system. Uh, the Constitution was made by racists, uh, but this is the system we're in right now. And, and that system, like we talked about before, it, it dilutes the power of black people, especially in those southern states. And um, that's a crime. You know, it's, it's anti-democratic. But, you know, I'll say for those who are, let's say you live in Detroit, Michigan, you really do have power because, you know, a battleground state. If you live in Philly, those are battleground states. So you really do have power, right, if you live in those cities. So, again, if you live in those metropolitan areas, you really can, you know, affect history by the way you vote. Uh, but at the same time, 
it it sucks, right? The systems we live under, it sucks because it's flawed from the beginning because they were hypocrites, right? They they wasn't meant for black people. They weren't writing with black people in mind. They weren't writing the Constitution. They weren't creating the Electoral College. I guess the only black people they had in mind with the Electoral College are enslaved black people. Uh, they they didn't want us to be free. They didn't see us as a full human. Uh, so, you know, that's what we're working with right now. But that's not to say that change can't happen. Uh, I mean, as we saw in the 60s with our ancestors, you know, the activists, the young people who were able to stand up and, and, and cause that, that change. All I'm saying is that you can't just depend on systems because they are inherently flawed. It's going to take, unfortunately, our efforts too on the ground, boycotting, all these things. Obviously, you need, you know, you need to go vote, but I'm saying it's going to take everything because voting alone, when it's a system that was meant for white people and not for you, won't be enough. You do need to vote, but you also need all these other things. And so, again, I'm not here to bring anybody down or to say, oh, the sky's falling, there's no use because there's always use. You always have a way to win. Righteousness will always find a way to win. All I'm trying to do is just inform people on the systems that we operate within. And so with that, I want to thank you for listening. Please subscribe if you can. I'm trying to reach as many people as possible. Um, and really just trying to get the message out. Really, if you can share it with somebody, that'd be great. You know, because the whole point of this, you know, the fir- first and 15th was to uh, engage and inform and amplify the voices within, you know, my community, the black community. But, you know, it, it also stands to, to inform and engage and amplify the voices of all marginalized people. But I'm just starting with my community first. So if anybody can get something from this podcast, then that's great. And I don't take for granted with, when anyone listens to me. Uh, so thank you for listening. And with that, I want to leave you with this one statement. There's nothing wrong with being upset because passion only means one thing, that you're still alive. God bless.